This is episode 23 of the Annex Wealth Management SWAT podcast. It's Monday, October 31st. In the studio, Trevor Nargis, trader, research analyst. Good morning. Good morning. Todd Voigt, chief investment strategist. Good morning to you. Good morning. So pretty interesting week last week, had some big names coming out with earnings. Market digested that as it felt it needed to, right? You had big names like Apple, big names like Amazon, but the eyes are on the Fed this week. Obviously, we still have earnings rolling in, but we have a Fed meeting um, in a couple days here. The expectation is a 75 basis point rate hike, but the market's going to be keeping their eyes on the Fed this week. I think that's going to be the main focus. Right. And what they say. Now, also, we got auto sales tomorrow, Tuesday. Expected to be positive or up. Tuesday, big number, ISM. Uh, that's expected to be declining a bit. Uh, most of the PMIs uh, or purchasing managers index around the world, uh, you know, a, a similar statistic to ISM, they're, they're all down in the, in the 40s, Europe and China. Jolts is a big one on Tuesday. Ex- expectation there is 9,850 down from 11,400,000 in the summer. And that's what I guess need to see is if you're concerned about the Fed tightening too much, they, they want to see that employment picture change. We also have the Fed meeting on Wednesday, as you mentioned, Trevor, and then average hourly earnings and other employment information on Friday. So why don't we start with strengths? Yeah, so one thing that we were talking about last week was kind of the performance of the broader market. So looking at market breadth. And when I say something like that, I like to look at the performance of the S&P equal weight as opposed to the market cap weighted index. Typically, when you see equal weight begin to perform, the market cap weighted index presents an opportunity, and we can get into this a little later, but for active management, there's more opportunity for active managers to pick their spots. You know, back in 2021, equal weight actually outperformed market cap weighted, and this year has, has been the same story thus far. A big factor in that is that you've seen a lot of these favorites of the market, a lot of the market darlings really take it on the chin this year. Think of your, your fan mag names, things like that, that have really sold off quite hard. You know, typically in drawdowns, you see equal weight outperform the S&P a little bit better on the way down, but the opportunity really comes on the other side of that for active managers to pick their spots. And I think you have something on that as well. Yeah, I've always liked equal weight more than market weight, but uh, when market weighted S&P 500 proxies like the SPY outperform, they really outperform. But the reason why that is, is that the indices will outperform in a trough, coming out of a trough, active managers sitting on a lot of cash. And then when the market turns over, you're going down with the rest of the market, obviously, if you have an index fund. So the active managers move ahead into cash, then tend to outperform. So it kind of evens out, I think, over a 10-year period. We're going into an environment that does favor active management. Right. And the last thing to to add there is that you know, with market cap weighted indices, Joel Greenblatt has said this, is that the the downside there is that sometimes you end up continually buying into the names that are the top weights in the indices as they're going up. So not necessarily a bubble phenomenon, but you kind of have some capitulation in a sense of people continue to pour into these favorite names. That kind of drives them being a bigger weight. And so that's ultimately why some of the managers like him, they kind of like those equal weighted indices because you're kind of spreading the wealth a little more. Right. That's an excellent point. You know, and that's what favors momentum investing is that that's exactly what it is, is if not just U.S. money, foreign money is pouring into S&P 500 index funds, and it's a, it's a momentum play. And then the flip side is, as you mentioned, capitulation. So equal weight 
probably evens that out. I think one thing that I kind of wanted to note here is that um, I think Europe might actually be somewhat strong here from a natural gas and kind of energy supply standpoint. We've seen inventories of nat gas and oil kind of hitting almost full levels. That could be pretty good as far as how inflation starts to come in over there. Um, I think that's going to be something to watch. Potentially, right, an opportunity down the road could be European equities. Now, the concern there is how bad a recession may be, but something to watch for sure. I think that kind of getting supply under control there, really dialing that in and and taking in more natural gas for the upcoming winter, I think that's been a good move. Right, and it's going to be dependent on the weather, of course, and how bad the winter might be. Anything else before we move on to weaknesses? Um, no, let's let's jump into it here. Uh, I know one that we talked about as a team last week is tax loss harvesting, potentially perpetuating some of the downward pressure on the indices. Great point. And what that means is that, you know, your losers this so far this year, there's an inclination to sell those losers for tax reasons. And then you look for a rally after the first or near the end of the year in those companies. But we're going to see it evident is in the capital gains distributions, too, from the funds. No control over that. They're going to be pouring out a lot of capital gains distributions from liquidations. Right. And part of that, you know, you have that liquidation side of it, but you maybe start to see turnover increase across the board as well um, with people kind of trying to manage that downside exposure that they have throughout the year. I think one other thing is that um, it, maybe it's not a weakness, um, but kind of one way that we've talked about it is that, you know, valuations are at longer run averages right now. The weakness there is obviously that in tighter financial environments, more restrictive financial environments, you tend to see valuations be lower. Uh, so that yeah, might be a definitely. weakness right Below now. Below average to be, be exact. So you have valuations pulled down, and, and for our listeners, you, know, you, you look at the companies or the markets uh, in terms of fundamentals valuation and, and how they're trading. In the fundamental sense, it looks pretty bleak, but the market's looking ahead in the next year. Valuations will typically reflect that and come down. But you mentioned, Trevor, they're, they're at their long-run averages. For a opportunity, and not just a bear market rally situation, but an, a, a longer run opportunity, you probably need to see those valuations come down below average before you really see a sustainable turnaround in the markets. On a yield curve inversion, that yield curve is still inverted, likely to get more inverted with the 75 basis point hike by the Fed in terms of weakness, which leads to recession. But the market's largely pricing that in. There was a graph in the client letter in July was rather profound. It shows a U-shaped bear market. And the arrow on that bear market graph pointed right to a peak of a bear market rally. So the market's bouncing around at a bottom. You, you, you can get the direction and magnitude right. You just might not get the timing right. So And nobody will. So you got this market bouncing around at, you know, it's down 25%. We've had a rally, quite a good one, the last couple of weeks. The expectation, though, is we may see another bottom. So this sort of double, triple bottom idea before the market turns into a sustainable rally. The reason for that is you got this recession on the horizon. How bad could it be? That might sink into the, the markets before year end. Well, I think something to note with that is that, you know, we've seen the two and the 10-year inverted throughout the year. I mean, you and I have 
looked at a chart pretty frequently, looking at the degree of the inversion between the two and the 10 year curve. Um, but one thing that we're going to need to watch, and you know, we saw it briefly happen over the past couple of weeks, is that that three month and the 10 year right. um, just recently inverted. And that's typically had a very high hit rate at predicting whether or not we're going to see a recession. Not only that, but actually, to, to clarify that, is actually that we're in a recession. So three 10 year inverted means you're already in a recession. Right. And so, you know, with 75 basis points on the table here and that pretty much being priced in, if that really does hit, that's going to accentuate that that inversion even further. Um, I know things kind of came back in line, but then we're really going to see that be inverted a little more. We briefly saw it kind of came back. We're seeing that move around a little bit. What else do you have in opportunities here, Todd? Well, earnings season so far, looking underneath everything, margins look worse than expected. But we have screening criteria for individual equity strategies that captures that. And not only that, but we can capture what companies have pricing power, competitive advantage, control over cost. There's a number of factors. You know, we're totally lined up to capture that in the screening criteria to get the right companies in the portfolio. Just a quick finish up weaknesses. European CPI came out worse than expected, 10.7. I mean, that doesn't sound too bad, <laughs> but it's really bad. I mean, it was expected to be 10.3. So the question is, how much of that is actually due to a weaker euro than generally rising prices? So you have to discern that because the dollar is exceptionally strong. And the dollar, you know, in these developed currencies, whether it's euro, yen, or dollar, they move sideways. So you get to an extreme. Again, you can start talking about the, the weaker dollar in the future, the magnitude of that weaker dollar, but you might not get the timing right. But it's not a matter of, of if, it's when does the dollar get weaker that then might help the inflation picture in Europe. So my question would be how much of that exorbitantly high CPI is due to the, the weaker euro? Moving on to opportunities. Yeah. And so one thing that we've talked about is that positioning has been pretty negative across the board from both institutional and retail investors. Uh, we're seeing equity allocations at pretty near record lows relative to what we've we've seen the past couple of years. So that negative positioning as kind of a contrarian indicator, that's something to watch as well. We've also seen sentiment be pretty low as well. Uh, there's there's surveys that are, that are posted out there by um, Association of Individual Investors and whatnot. We've seen those sentiment figures be pretty bearish as well. A couple weeks back, we saw that pretty much near 2008 levels. So using kind of those as contrarian indicators is, is what has some people bullish on the longer-term outlook here. I think the other side of that, you've heard this from some talking heads, is that things have been so bad, um, and you've seen a lot of bond market volatility, you've seen equities uh, really taken on the chin, especially in the growth space, that the Fed ha being, kind of being closer to the end of their hiking cycle than they are the beginning, that maybe that warrants some longer-term cash deployment. Yeah, just real quick, that American Association Individual Investors Sentiment Index, you know, is, is, is rock bottom. You know, it's so bearish that, but those sentiments can stay negative for a while. You need that final capitulation, which is maybe that third leg down in the market before you can really bite your teeth into allocating more to the market. So when we talked about the AAII, they also have a book called Level 3 Investing. And inside of there, they'll elaborate on the 
equal weighted index. RSP is a ticker for the you know, proxy for the equal weighted S&P, by the way. I just thought I'd throw that in. All right, so threats, what do you got? One thing is obviously that the SPR is at a 40-year low. We need a little more energy stability because the lack of inventory that we have, I mean, diesel supply is pretty much near record lows uh, as far as the number of days that we have left there. The conversation around that, uh, there's been a lot of concern in the fact that the SPR is typically used for uh, kind of like crises type of events, not necessarily when you just have energy prices that are elevated or really volatile. And going into winter, that's obviously a threat there. So the threat of potentially higher energy prices, oil surging again, that's that's a threat as well because right. that translates to higher input costs and for you know, everybody, kind of go for down. For farmers, uh, for everybody. So that oil price, probably you could expect it to be remain elevated in that $100, $110 barrel area going in the next year. So you'd have to have an economic collapse to get that down back down to like 70 bucks a barrel. The worst thing that could have happened is to deplete the SPR ahead of winter. I mean, that, that was just not a good idea. Um, no, it makes things really tough. And that's kind of one thing that I thought was actually quite interesting about the European situation, right? Is that they've really, they've really ramped up their inventories. Now SPR is different than just straight up inventories, but, but something to note for sure. One other thing I had from a threat standpoint was just onshoring continuing. That kind of would create more of a floor under inflation. I know we've talked about that as a team, but when you onshore, right, you kind of remove some of those uh, benefits that you've seen from globalization, right? Because right. companies are able to kind of find lower costs, right? Cheaper labor, cheaper materials. They're able to maneuver around. Well, when you onshore, and whether that be for national security purposes, so on and so forth, but when you're onshoring, uh, you kind of eliminate some of that. So, like I said, it kind of puts somewhat of a floor under inflation. Right. You know, and, and American workers get paid more, but I would argue that American workers are also more efficient. So there's this back and forth uh, between higher potential wages from onshoring but greater efficiency, you know, which one's going to win, win out. And, and you might have slightly higher inflation because of the, the onshoring. The vast majority of CEOs expecting recession leads to lower CapEx spending. You've seen that in the energy. You know, why would they build out their infrastructure only to, you know, put the kibosh on it later because of EVs and electrical, electric vehicles and electrification of everything? green energy, the whole thing. So they've really held back on their CapEx. Now the big issue is going as midterm is, you know, why why wouldn't the oil companies pass on these excess profits to lower energy price or oil prices or gas prices? And the answer is they're not in the business of giving away something. I mean, thankfully, in a sense, they're smart with their cash and their and their capital allocation. I mean, if they were run like households and government, we'd all be in trouble. We'd have a major financial catastrophe. Well, and what's tough for some of those companies, too, is that, you know, when the conversation has been around kind of making them obsolete, uh, those companies are kind of being a little more defensive and kind of protecting themselves a little bit more. Yeah, right, right. To your note earlier about CEOs expecting a recession, that goes back to something that Blaine and I talked about a couple of months ago, is that when you kind of start to talk yourself into this and prepare yourself for a recession, you're more likely to see that happen, right? Yeah, kind of Hiring freezes, right. people looking to kind of make their workforce a little more lean. You see that through layoffs. Again, not spending as much as on CapEx, uh, that, that's going to kind of all feed into one another. So headline strength, I'd say active management versus passive investing the next five years at least. 
Headline weakness, what do you got, Trevor? Just weakness that we've seen throughout the year. That would perpetuate and continue tax loss harvesting, putting further downward pressure on the indices. What do you have for a headline opportunity? Negative positioning and the potential for additional cash to come in. And then lastly, headline threat here would be SPR at 40-year lows, and we're heading into winter. Trevor Nargis, Trader, Research Analyst on the Annex Wealth Management SWAT Podcast. Thank you. Thanks, guys. Todd Voigt, Chief Investment Strategist. Thank you. Thank you. Annex Wealth Management, LLC, is a registered investment advisor. For more information about our firm, please visit AnnexWealth.com. The information in this podcast is for educational and entertainment purposes only and is subject to change without notice. The opinions expressed are those of the participants and don't necessarily reflect on those of Annex Wealth Management, LLC. Information presented should not be construed as tax, legal, or investment advice or a recommendation or a solicitation for the sale of any product or strategy. Listeners are encouraged to seek advice from qualified professionals to determine whether any information presented may be suitable for their specific situation. Investments involve risk. Neither Annex Wealth Management LLC nor its podcast participants shall be liable for losses resulting from decisions based on information or viewpoints presented on this podcast.